Hello, friends. Welcome back to Modern Wisdom and welcome to over 1 million downloads. That's right. We made it into the Seven Figures Club. Huge thank you to everybody who's supported us over the last 18 months. So it's only been going since January 2018 and it feels so good to hit that 1 million figure. On to today's guest. What better of a way to celebrate hitting a million downloads than with Douglas Murray? International best-selling author of The Strange Death of Europe and his new book, The Madness of Crowds, is absolutely sublime. A lot of sense-making around some really contentious topics. I mean, the, the four chapters in the book are gay, women, race, and trans, which <laughs> kind of tells you everything that you need to know about what you're in for today. It's really fitting that this episode with Douglas marks the breaking of one million downloads because it absolutely reminded me why I love doing this podcast. You know, it's not a huge team. It's me and Video Guy Dean putting out two episodes every Monday and every Thursday with people like Ben Greenfield or James Altucher, Aubrey Marcus or Scott Barry Kaufman. It's a, a big project that is unrelenting in its workload. And having conversations like this with Douglas just make it so worthwhile. I genuinely would do this podcast even if no one was listening, but increasingly it seems like more and more people are. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you are not subscribed, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. You will get one episode every Monday and every Thursday with the most interesting humans on the planet delivered directly into your listening device of choice. But for now, it's time for the wise and wonderful Douglas Murray. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am joined by Douglas Murray, author of The Madness of Crowds and best-selling author of The Strange Death of Europe. Douglas, welcome to the show. It's been a great pleasure to join you so far. <laughs> We've had a couple, of, uh, a couple of technical issues, but got through them fine. Um, and now we get on to the real issues. First things first, Madness of Crowds, your new book, four chapters, women, gay, race, and trans. Each one of those is a nuclear warhead ready <laughs> to go off underneath my foot. Um, how how are we going to be able to navigate this conversation? And how also did you navigate this uh, without getting blown up? Well, um, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I've survived so far. The book's been, been out of Fortnite. <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. Um, Look, my, my my view is is that we, we we've become in our societies really bad at having conversations, and we've become very bad at thinking because we can't think out loud, or at least the price of thinking out loud has become potential total career and life destruction. So when people wonder why people don't do it, it's it's not hard to find the reason. Um, I think that for some re uh, some reason in recent years, I noticed that these four issues in particular, there are others, but these four issues in particular were the ones which people just kept on, uh, you know, the moment they nicked the tripwire, they were just detonated. And uh, I just found that really interesting also because I think all four issues are unbelievably interesting. 
and and actually significant i mean have significant uh, um, effects on people's lives and on our societies so my view is that uh, um we've got this strange position in our societies at the moment where the only people who can sort of speak or think out loud are people who don't have any hierarchy above them that's the vulnerable to crowd stampedes and mobs and so on so those of us who can think aloud whether we're right or wrong i don't know but uh sort of have a disproportionate duty to talk and think and write and so i decided just to take each of the absolute nuclear bomb issues head on and just go jumping on in <laughs> yeah you certainly did were there any i was going to ask you this at the end but i'm going to ask you now um were there any chapters that you could have considered adding that you didn't that's a, that's a very good question there are there are two that i could have done that i didn't okay one one was green okay yeah, uh, yeah, 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 which yeah. uh i have been been becoming more and more interested in um and i think that there's whatever people's views about the about the nature of climate change and the best way to deal with it and so on it's it's clear there is at this point an element of um crowd mentality that's kicking in um and i suppose the other one that was that where i could have done i thought about doing uh but decided to put off to another day was mental health because i think that mental health in general is a fascinating fascinating issue it's, it's come very fast into the mainstream and i think that's sort of you know good in all sorts of ways but uh, there are lots of issues around mental health that i'm very skeptical about not that you know we don't need to get into all of them but uh, i i don't entirely share a lot of the presumptions of the age and i think that it basically it has some of the same attributes of the things i'm discussing here is that you get onto the thing and you don't know where to correct or it becomes almost impossible to say stop at any point and I tell you, I mean, with the mental health one, just not bang on, but one of the ones I noticed a few years ago was that there were certain mental illnesses that people clearly wanted to have, and well, ones I... they didn't. Well, okay, sorry, you just invited me to jump into hey, an entirely hey. new atomic bomb, but I will. here we go. Let's do so, it. I noticed, for instance, speaking to doctor friends and everyone, that bipolar, this isn't to say that there aren't people who are bipolar, but that it was a good thing some people thought to have diagnosed similar to ocd right and and what's striking to me is that there are mental health afflictions that are just definitely not the ones that people would want and they are underdiagnosed by comparison so schizophrenia like nobody thinks it's cool to be schizophrenic (laughs) and like whereas on a date somebody saying and i you know have bipolar issues it's not that everyone loves that but there'll be some people who'll be like you know that's whereas if you say and by the way i I should tell you i'm i'm a a schizophrenic Mm. it has a different it's the branding right it's it's people talk about i'm ocd but i'm really only ocd in the kitchen you're like right right right. and also the general thing of i've got mental health as if as if that's some kind of calling card yeah uh anyhow so uh, yeah, I, I could have done that, but I, I decided to put that off to another day. Um, and there's just there's an entire book just on that. But yeah, for sure. But I decided I decided that the four I'd thought about most and the four I had been digging into most were yeah were gay, uh, women specifically relations between the sexes, uh, race and trans. And 
in a way, the last one of those was was the most interesting for me because it's the one that we've been thinking about for the least amount of time. Mm -hmm. And therefore, which I would argue we have run furthest and worst uh, without having much questioning, actually. Removed from Um, reality the most, would you say? Yeah, well, just that things get sort of waved by in the general discourse, which I, I don't think I necessarily buy. And, and, and uh, I mean, the one that's come up in recent days, again, thank, thanks to Sam Smith, has been non-binary. And I I just I don't think there's any such thing. And um, and, and it, on that occasion, it's it's not for me to prove that there isn't. It's for people who say they are non-binary to prove to me that tell or no, just to tell me what it is. And they can't. They don't. They just say, shut up, bigot. And I'm not interested in that mode of discourse. So, Regardless of whether you think that argument does or doesn't have credence, it shouldn't be news. I think everyone should be able to agree. Like That was so all over my Twitter that I just logged out for the rest of the evening. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It it is not a story. Yeah, well, um, the news websites are partly responsible for a lot of this. There's a... There's a feeling I explain, as you know, in the madness of crowds, where I, I say there's sometimes when you feel the news isn't the news, it's about something else. It's some kind of re-education program. I notice this isn't because I happen to be gay. Uh, I could probably say this where some heterosexuals saying it might not sound so good. But there are days when I wonder, how does it feel like to read the news if you're heterosexual? Because um, there's so much about the gay thing. I mean, there was a, a very, very minor celebrity who have married his boyfriend and it was front page news on the BBC website. He's a guy of such little consequence that, I mean, he's not even a well-known reality TV star. And it was like, why are you telling us about it? Other than to say gay wedding, gay wedding, gay wedding. Mm. And, and that sort of stuff worries me because I think, well, that's, there's stuff like that, which I regard as being what I call the, the possible overcorrections where to make up for something that was wrong in the past, i.e. homophobia, you overcorrect. And I think that's happening in a lot of the cases I write about in this book, a lot of the subjects I write about in this book. And I'm really interested in it because then the question is, if you've overcorrected, how would you know? And how would you stop? And how would you get back to equal? Which is pretty much all I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, it's you are right. Some of the examples that you use in the book, like in the business section of the New York Times, yeah. Japanese the, the Japanese is a cultural approach to gay gay people yeah. in the in the workplace. Yeah, the main, the, main the, the first two pages of the business section in the New York Times are about a gay businessman in Japan who came out and it wasn't a problem because they're not all that homophobic in the Japan, Japanese workplace. Okay, that is the definition. I know from being a journalist myself, that is the definition definition of a non-story. <laughs> Something happened in another country and nothing happened as a consequence. <laughs> It's like, that's not news. That's the opposite of news. Have you heard? We've got a Canadian who doesn't like cats. Uh, anything happened? No. No, cats were fine about it, and now yeah. everyone's got on with their day. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's bizarre. That I don't really know. I, I, I don't really know sort of where to go with that. You, you are right, though. The, the fact is overcorrection, that we're mm. potentially moving towards a, a, a situation where gay stories are being shoehorned into the press. Yeah, one, right. of the, one of the things that that instantly does is it downregulates the virtue or the integrity of any real achievements which are made by people that are gay. Right. The same the same thing as calling everyone a Nazi. It's like if you yeah, call yeah, everyone yeah. a Nazi, it loses its power. The same thing uh, is if 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 a, yeah. if a gay if a gay person in Japan being gay 
is worthy of being in the news, then what happens when something really newsworthy happens? It's right. like, oh, well, whatever, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like the thing of first woman or first ex of race in a particular role. Yeah. There are definitely times when it makes sense, but there are times when, you know, it's, uh, I say it's say so with the women chapters. So, um, there are times in recent years when you wouldn't have thought that, for instance, in Britain, we lived in a country with a female head of state, a female prime minister, uh, female heads of the Supreme Court and, and so on and, and just you'd thought we lived in some Margaret Atwood novel judging by the way in which it's being written about and you, you sort of, yeah it's not like we have women inside we know that like what are you doing other than at some level in the media and I show how the tech companies have done this too in some way sort of correcting the public yes Telling us, or or te- or saying this is another way of looking at it. Saying, "I dare you, mm-hmm. I dare you to mind yeah. the sort of Greta Thunberg phenomenon as well." It's like, "I dare you, go on, mm. go yeah, on, it's... criticize a sixteen-year-old autistic kid, go on." <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Um, it's like uh, in volleyball, the this whatever it's called, that one before they come in and they hit it. It's the little throw up in the air right. that's like, look, do you want to have a go at that? Do you right. want to have a go? And it's like, okay, we'll make this even less newsworthy. Do you want yeah. to have a go at that? Because and, if you do, uh, yes. I'm immediately going to be able to say, you fucking bigot, not yes. I wrote a shite story. And as it happens, <laughs> the only people in the world who jump up and hit that ball are all mates of mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah they are they are they're, they're the whatever like the striker or whatever you're having volleyball yeah. there'll be some volleyball people listening who are tearing the hair out because how little we know about volleyball yeah, i'm um, absolutely winging this fine I, uh, totally the limit think, of my knowledge yeah yeah absolute sort of uh, <laughs> uh domain of competence um I, I i was gonna wait for this as well but i've wanted to ask this this question as well since reading the book piers morgan right gets gets brought up a few times throughout the book is it coincidental, or does he just happen to embroil himself in these situations a lot? What the fuck's going on with Piers Morgan? Um, that's a very interesting point. I, I actually saw <laughs> Piers Morgan this morning because I was Did doing you? his morning show. Piers Morgan. And he, uh, his wife wrote a very nice column mentioning my book the other day, and I thought, okay, she's read it. I wonder if he has, because, yes, the references to him are not that obliging. <laughs> no, and uh, unfortunately, this morning I went with a copy of the book, and at the end of the show, just we finished recording, uh, Pierce said, uh, is that one going spare, Douglas? I said, uh, yeah, c- can I have it? I said, yeah, no, of course. And I thought, oh, maybe I should have taken that page out. But no, <laughs> the, <laughs> I didn't really. No, but he, um, yeah, he, it, it is actually coincidence in a way because, I mean, he's obviously, whether one agrees or disagrees or likes or dislikes or whatever, I mean, he's definitely one of those characters who throws himself into things. In his case, with just, you know, glee. But it does mean sometimes that pe- people like that are sometimes there at interesting cultural turning point moments. And I think to the two ca- times he comes up in the book, I don't want anyone viewing this to think this is like a biography of Piers Morgan. It's, no, it's, I can, I can but, assure them but, that you know, it but, definitely isn't. No, yeah. But the two times he comes up, uh, um, it's because, yeah, he's sort of he's thrown himself right into the middle of a culture war and something happened as a consequence. And and. It is interesting. There are figures, sort of slight lightning rods for good and ill, who you notice, yeah, crop up. Um, but I, I, I'm um, one of the things I'm proud of about this book is that I try to 
do everything from looking at the philosophy and deep ideas that cause some of the things we're going through, right up to, you know, what happened on The View or Good Morning Britain yesterday, because it's quite easy for people who love books, as, as I do, to think books create the world or, you know, massively influence the world. They, they do have an influence, but so does television, so does pop music, so does so does rap, so does... Like, Twitter. Twitter and and really the the interesting challenge which I hope I I, I managed to rise uh, to the occasion of uh, was to try to encompass all of that say you know this is the era we are in and this is the madness we are going through and to do that on everything from the level of the deep deep ideas all the way through to these television events for instance which have a massive impact on the culture. You know, if somebody is destroyed live on air mm -hmm. for not saying the thing that nobody said till yesterday, everyone learns. Everyone learns. You're right. It's the BuzzFeed's 15-second clip, Piers Morgan destroys homophobic bigots live yeah, on yeah. air. Um, yeah. There was a, a, a guy who was doing gay conversion therapy is one of the That's examples right. in the book. Um, and one of the things that I thought was very interesting, you have this quite balanced view. You went to go and see his particular film and Piers Morgan had annihilated this guy live on air. Yeah. But this particular individual wasn't working with anyone who didn't come to him, wasn't yeah. saying that it was, he wasn't making a value judgment yeah. on gay or not gay. He was simply right. offering people a service for that, that wanted to become straight. And yeah. You're totally right. This that was the little ball in the air, and Piers Morgan just came in and hit the bigot button yeah. immediately. That's right. And I actually I felt sorry for the guy in question. I mean, I I, I I I caveat this a lot, and I say, look, in a different era, if he'd have had more power, I wouldn't have liked to have necessarily had him in any kind of control. This guy, but if um, look, I mean, if you live in a free and liberal society, then you know what's goose for the what's it what source of the goosey source of the gander or whatever it is, um. You can't just change one set of demands of a society and then just demand a new set. And you've got to express tolerance even to very, you know, things you disagree with a lot. And I say that as long as, as, long as it, that, 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 that group, I don't like what they do, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that, that I, I want to look at their ideas, I want to weigh it up, and then I can come to my own conclusions. But yes, I'm very suspicious of this thing where people just are brought on air to be shouted at and told they're bigots and then waved off into the distance. Why, why uh, do we need to be tolerant of other people's views? Why do well, we the, main, the main reasons are, the classical reasons for it, that certainly in the tradition of English liberty, is, is, which is sort of the one that became the, the idea in America as well, is that um, you need to hear other views. In fact, you, you specifically need to hear the, the views which are the minority views because first basically the first reason is that you might be wrong and if you are wrong you want to have access to the correction to your error um and even if you're not completely wrong you might be wrong in part which i mean my own experience in life is that that's happened quite often i i've, I've had a presumption and and, and quite often whether that that whole process it, it's inevitable we don't like to do it because it's it's more work to, to correct your opinion when you're wrong. I mean, there's been fascinating studies. There was a fascinating study at Harvard that Cass Sunstein and others did a few years ago that showed that, you know, we might think that when somebody's wrong, 
literally has the wrong view. There's a fact they are wrong about, mm -hmm. and they meet the correction to the view. We might think, we tend to think that that you would just say, "Oh, I, I see. I didn't didn't realize I was wrong." But as anyone who's had a boyfriend or a girlfriend for a long time will know, often it doesn't work like that. They um, <laughs> dig their heels in even you harder. You don't immediately say, "Darling, I, oh, I absolutely see your point. Thank you." Yep. You know, you so and actually, the, the the studies show that people double down on their error. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, my point is, is that that's the first reason you might be wrong, and you should correct it if if you are actually wrong. It's for your own good as well as the good of society that you that you don't go around in error. But the second reason, actually, the second broad reason, which is really interesting, is is that even if you're you're not in error, and the other person is, being reminded of it helps you keep your own knowledge of why you're you're in the right right mm -hmm. so it's like a uh like a knife sharpening uh, uh -huh. well we're not allowed to use metaphors anymore are we but 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 uh, <laughs> yeah. so scrap that that's obviously an incitement to kill or something but <laughs> yeah. but anyhow but 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 uh, it, it's it's a way to keep our brains honed to to know that we don't slip into dogma that's what john stuart mill said about it that we we avoid slipping into dogma uh, and the, the reason why it's worth not slipping into dogma is just that you end up becoming lazy and unable to defend things you really need to defend. Mm -hmm. And I think our society is, if I say this, and I quote G.K. Chesterton as well as Nicki Minaj in the epigraph, to say um, to say that our, our era is, I mean, is filled with dogmas and we pretend it isn't, but it really is. I mean, there's a lot of dogmas in our society. One of the things that you bring up right at the beginning is that you say that the grand narratives that we used to uh, identify with, the the root cause of this crowd derangement is the mm. collapse of all of our grand narratives. Yes. Why, why has that enabled this this broader situation that we're seeing in front of us? Because this crosses all of the... It's enabled the gay, the trans, the, the, the race discussions to yeah. be so sort of visceral. So my, my feeling is that we... Uh, look... Something incredibly deep has happened underneath our societies, which we're in, if not in denial about, we don't face up to, which is we're, we're living at a stage where we might be among the first people in human history to have absolutely no explanation for what we're doing here. And no story to tell about what we should do. Other than I know there are narratives, they're pretty weak ones. I know, accumulate as much money as you can and enjoy yourself. There's one. Yeah. Gain some Twitter followers. Yeah, it's it's not the worst idea in human history, but it's a it's a fairly shallow one. Uh, as I say, I mean, this this paucity of ideas, and I say it's uh, it's obviously the consequence of the collapse of religion, which is pretty much an irreversible issue now. And the collapse of organized religion, the collapse of all major political ideologies in the 20th century, other than the, the present structure, which is, a, you know, broadly a liberal state of the capitalist economy. Uh, and I think that in the last 10 years, basically in the wake of the 2008 financial crash, a lot of confidence, self-confidence was lost in capitalism, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a disaster in all sorts of ways, because it's... Um, uh, you know, as like Churchill famous said of said famously said about democracy, it's the worst system apart from all of the others, and uh, and we've so we're in this strange position where we've really run out of things to believe in, and we sort of pretend that well, just find your own meaning in the world, and that's one of the reasons why, as I say, I mean, I think that it's very understandable that people then 
get caught up in in new uh, uh, ideologies of this. And my view is that the social justice movement, intersectionality, all this stuff, is a version of uh, it's a it's a way to give life meaning. And the problem with it, among other things, is that all of these things, equal rights for women, equal rights for sexual minorities, equal rights for racial minorities, and so on, are very good things, and they are the products of liberal rights. But we've tried to, instead of being the products of them, it's like we've flipped the whole bar stool around and trying to sit on the products of the right. And it, it, it doesn't support itself, because as I, as I show in each chapter, each of these, not only are each of these things gay relations between sexes race and trans not only are they going against each other in very interesting ways uh trans against women trans against gay and so on but but they each in themselves are more unstable than we're willing to admit so for instance we still don't know very much about being gay we don't know quite what causes it and there's been this study that's just come out since my book came out which sort of vindicates what i say which is that it's a bit more it's a bit more complex than we than we we pretend relations between the sexes uh, and our attitudes as a society towards women in particular are very contradictory and we pretend they're not so we pretend that women are simultaneously exactly the same as men and magically better on occasion <laughs> And we just decided to hold that idea. And with race, we are very, very unsure for good reasons, for good reasons, because who wants to open that up, really? Well, a lot of people, it turns out. But I explain why I think that's going to be risky. And then you have the trans one. And that's just really, really uncertain and really, really uh, uh not something we know enough about or say not as much as we're pretending and and so i'm just sort of saying let's lean on all of these things a little less let's not make everything about these identity issues let's let's try not to lean as much as we are on them and try to get back to what i thought was the aim which was equal not better equal and focusing on the content of people's character you make a, a an analogy between Martin Luther King and his the content of yeah. someone's character, not the color of their skin, which yeah. has that. If there was a barstool analogy to be used, it's that now, right? That it right. is all about the color of someone's skin. Yeah. And yeah. then on top of that, uh, are they gay? And yeah, are, yeah, they, yeah. are they? Did they used to be a man? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. How many more of these can we layer on top? That's how right. the barstool's been flipped, right? Yeah, and I. Uh... I think this is just all profoundly dangerous. It's Why? profoundly dangerous. Well, because, first of all, just because somebody is of a particular group does not mean they're right. Or indeed, it doesn't always, by any means, if, if ever, mean that they have a particular right to be heard. It's true that you wouldn't want a conversation between 100 people about women and none of them to be women. It would be, although the Catholic Church has tried that a fair <laughs> amount. But uh, more than 100, you can get right. But, but generally speaking, we recognize that that, that that people do bring contributions. We're just not entirely sure what and what the uh, what the particular mix is that's needed. But nevertheless, there isn't a particular virtue you bring by being of a characteristic. Uh, there's a very brilliant young um, American writer who happens to be black called Coleman Hughes, who 
who mentioned this in a, an essay a little while ago, and I quote him in the introduction, that he said that when he was at university quite re very recently, I think maybe he still is in America, some of his contemporaries treated him as if he had a special moral insight from being black. Well, I think some black people obviously will have special moral insights, just like people of all sorts of backgrounds and skin colors will. But but just being black in itself doesn't doesn't bring that uh, in the same way that we all know. I mean, just because you're a man or just because you're a woman does not mean you have a magical virtue or insight. There will be things you notice and there'll be things you can see. And but but that sort of it's that all depends on the individual. It's like if you said, I just think that women are so clever. What's that? You say, what? what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean? It's like saying, I think men are all clever. Like, what are we talking about? There's just, there's individuals. You can point you to plenty of brilliant women. I can point you to plenty of brilliant men and plenty of brilliant black people as well as plenty of brilliant white people. But why would you be doing these categories? Uh, what do you think they bring? Mm. And I th I think in each of them it's very strange. It's almost like we in 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 the course of my lifetime. Actually, I've only just turned forty, but in the course of my lifetime, we've it's almost as if on these things we've gone past equal and overcorrected slightly, mm -hmm. as if because men and particularly white men have had you know uh, uh, certain advantages. I think there's a lot to dispute in that interpretation, but that for a bit we'll be mean to them. Like we'll make white people feel a bit of the racism that some of them have expressed in the past to other people mm -hmm. in order to make up for the past this compensatory um, mechanism to compensate and um if it's the same thing with it's not enough that women are equal we should also punish men a bit and on each of these i think well, there are a set of questions, aren't there? How would you know when you've overcorrected? Who would announce it? What would the signs be? And how would you get back to equal? And are you sure you could? Are you absolutely sure you would know how to orient yourself? It, I mean, there being by that point, among others, careers and jobs and pensions mm. of people who are very happy with the overcorrection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, a, a quote from your... Uh, interview with Candace Owens, where one of you says that um, after a while, when I think she's referring to black people, and she says after a while, being treated as special as black makes being treated normal feel like a uh, being undervalued. Right. I had a um, I had an Irish immigrant uh, friend uh, who one of my best friends died some years ago. Who you had a beautiful phrase on this. He he used to say uh, about integration. Uh, he used to say. Uh, the moment when you're integrated really into a society is not when you get anything special or anything extra or anything more. The moment when you're really integrated is when you rise, you just have to put up with the same shit the rest of us have to put up with. <laughs> I like that. But it's indifference, isn't it? It's the same thing as we do, yeah. a, we do a relationship series and we were talking about how to get over someone. And I was saying right. that the ultimate, ultimate conclusion to a relationship and any residual feelings for your ex isn't hatred or resentment it's indifference it's seeing them in the street right. and feeling nothing uh, that you know that that to me is completing it some people may be able to actually continue on with nice memories of their ex but that indifference that again you're seen just judged on the basis of your character so i want to i want to jump onto the women thing because the Nicki Nicki Minaj quotes throughout just had me like, I, I absolutely loved that 
But before we did that, I only realised upon reading this book, because I haven't looked that much into LGBT recent history, when did gay rights get, like, amalgamated in with LGBT? And does that... Yeah. It, is there a... I don't know whether you know. You're not you're not exactly, like, tip of the spear of, like, the gay movement or whatever. It doesn't... Not, no. not that you're the representative... But I wonder, I wonder how gay people feel about having to have their mm. uh, movement adopted amongst this broader group of people. So it used to be gay rights, and I remember yeah. I'm thirty-one. I remember when it was gay rights. Right. I don't remember when it became LGBT. Uh, well, uh, it's uh, the brief history as what um, uh, um, Dave Chappelle refers to as the alphabet people in his recent show. Um, uh, is he's actually he's, he has a very good summary of what I part of what I say in the gay chapter. Basically, the gays uh, and the lesbians got together, and they didn't have much in common other than the fight for uh, um, lesbian and gay other rights. Other than the fact that none of them were interested in each other. Yes, I mean it's it's a really <laughs> I love the sort of presentation of the LGBT community as if like the gays and the lesbians never meet. They have nothing <laughs> nothing to say to each other. <laughs> And in my opinion, my experience, the lesbians all find the gays ridiculous because they think they're essentially um, sort of silly and obsessed with sex and lots more. And the gays think the lesbians are kind of dowdy and boring. And that's the... I'm not saying this is my view. Of course. I know. I just. I love, I love the. I love the interplay of the politics. It's great. So anyway, but the point is, is that no one ever talks about this. But basically, the L, the L's and the G's didn't get on at all, really, ever, and had, they had nothing in common. And then the B's came along, and, the, and the, nobody quite believed the B's existed. And I think there's still a lot of doubt about that. <laughs> okay. Actually. Yeah. Um, or to put it another way, most most men who say they're bisexual, women don't then. No, women, women almost never cool with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the gays think that's just somebody who hasn't made their mind up yet mm-hmm. and we, whether that's right or wrong I, i'm now going to be accused of biphobia and all my other many many crimes but anyhow and then then the then the t's come along who have absolutely nothing in common apart from also some suspicion from wider society and the t's morphs in the space of a few decades from dressing up as some of the clothing of the opposite sex to full-on sex changes. And this happens incredibly fast now to this position where people say there are people who are born transsexual, which is, as I say in the trans chapter, it's, just, it's all really fascinating, but it's by no means as clear as that. Um, but by the way, I also say that the T's run against the L's and the G's. And that's, that's just overwhelming. Well, now if a child is diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which is a really troubling whole business this um 80 of children diagnosed as having so-called gender dysphoria will grow up not to have it i.e they will grow up to be straight or gay and a lot of gay men and women look at that and they think whoa that could have happened to my younger self mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. a sort of tomboyish lesbian might have been told actually you're a boy and we're going to give you hormone uh, therapies and uh, block your puberty. And then you can have an experiment, you know, medically on you in a bit later. And then, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, that is really, there's like a lot of. In, totally in, right. Uh, there's it's a lot of tension there. Pushing people towards the extremes. I brought this up with Zuby. That I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I heard tomboys. 
Like, there's no, no but... such thing as a butch girl anymore, or like a girl that likes to do sports. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. A, a future boy trapped inside of a girl's body. And 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 one of the strange things you see, one of the strange things, I mean, like LGBT, that's a bloody minefield. I mean, as I said, that's just one great big contradiction there. Um, but it's much worse when you see what the T does to the women, because women have spent decades fighting not to be judged according to male standards, among other things. Mm -hmm. And then when trans comes along, people who were born men say they're women and quite often do a lot of things and approximate women in a way that is highly offensive to women, highly offensive to women. For instance, uh, I give an example in the book of well, the, the, what one second wave feminist in Britain described as, you know, the assumption that a woman's natural body shape is that of a sort of Brazilian transsexual, you know, all all big breasts and sort of <laughs> porny and, you know, and, and all that. And a lot of women are like, that's exactly the kind of sexual objectification of by men of women that we were trying to get away from. Yeah. Um, and so anyhow, the, the, all of this, the point is, all of this is just a bloody great big mess. It's much messier than everyone pretends. They're like, oh, all of this interlocks, and if we can tackle trans rights, we can also address women's rights. Go, no, they might go like that, like that, and just keep happening like that. There was a there was an event the other day in the UK. There was a meeting of uh, feminists, uh, uh, British feminists, and they were barracked by trans activists outside. And the police were, were protecting the trans activists, and these people who were men until quite recently are banging on the windows, intimidating the women inside, and it's like <laughs> trans rights. Yeah, I was like, what? In what other situation are the men allowed to intimidate the women <coughs> other than if the men say they're now women? When they wear heels. That's when. When they wear heels. Uh, yeah. That's exactly yeah. when they're allowed. Unless so they take them a... off and then start using them as a yeah. weapon. The, the, it, 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 like, it is really messy. And everything in our day says all of these things are linked and it's really straightforward. And I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm kind of pissing on that party in this book, mm -hmm. among other things. There's, like, a number, just... there's a number of parties getting pissed on in the book. Yeah, there is. <laughs> it's yeah, great. It's... Um, I want to move. On. I want to move on to Nicki Minaj just because sure. she. Fa she just first off, she fascinates me. Second, she appears a number of times in the book. But <clears throat> you have this beautiful, this beautiful quote, which I think hit on something that I've seen and not known what it was. Uh, Women can be as sexual as they like, but they cannot be sexualized. And heaven help any man who responds. Yeah. Um, could you just take us through that little the Nicki Minaj video thing that happens before? Because it's it it absolutely strikes at the heart of what mm. I've felt as a you know a young single man for quite a mm. while. Yeah, I, I um I'm really interested in these things in our age which are basically impossible demands. Um, the most obvious one is that I write about is the, the insistence that there's there's this insistence that goes. You have to understand me. And simultaneously says, you will never understand me. Yeah. The same person can do both of those yeah. all the time. And we have that everywhere in our society. Now, there are other things of just impossible demands. For instance, uh, I say at one point, I cite a ridiculous person who complains on the BBC that they are often ridiculed in public. And that's not nice, but... I point out, if you're ridiculous, you will be ridiculed. Like you, you can't escape it, other than by not being ridiculous. And my favourite impossible demand is the one that you just hit on there, which is the 
the demand that is currently just very uncomfortably in the culture in relation to the relations between the sexes, which is, yeah, women, women are allowed to be as sexual as they want, as sexy as they want, but must not be sexualized. And this, as I point out, is not possible. Now, does this mean that men can do whatever they want? Obviously not. Obviously not. And you see, this is one of the conversations that's so hard to have because somebody always leaps in and goes, oh, I suppose, so I suppose you, you, you're just a victim blaming. You know, oh, so, so you think women should be raped? No, there are gradations between total chastity and rape. You know, that's how we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise... We wouldn't have Skype, we wouldn't have you, we wouldn't have me, <laughs> yeah. we have all the nice people watching. It's just chastity. <laughs> but but it's a sort of it's a sort of dementing, you know, we don't allow ourselves to have this conversation. And my point is, none of this means that men can do what they want. But if a woman is entering the sex game mm-hmm. by being highly sexualized, that you know, and I'm I'm talking about the reason I give the Nicki Minaj example is because it's it's so overtly sexual, mm-hmm. and and I particularly am interested in this video of Anaconda. I, by the way, the audible version of my book I read myself, and it means that I read. I have to read the lyrics. Oh, I read that the is Nick amazing! Somebody right. has already put it into a video on YouTube and, and cut the music over the top. Of yeah, it. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So like who, whoever that is, whoever that is, I salute you. Uh, also, oh. to the to the people who are listening, obviously the link to Manasseh Crowd's the book on Amazon will be in there. But I'm going to put the link to the Audible version as well, so that you have to hear. Douglas, yeah, uh, I, uh, yeah, uh, it's <laughs> it's going to be my party piece. I can see for the next think? couple of years. Nice. Go on, do Nikki, do Nikki, <laughs> do Nikki uh, again, mate. Yeah. But no, but he, uh, uh, the, the the fascinating thing about this 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 video, and I just I talked it over with a lot of straight friends, and uh, I, I just. So what she does in Anaconda is, among other things, it's all, it's all completely sexual. I mean, just totally sexual. Just her wiggling her butt and her friends wiggling her their butts and they sometimes hit each other's butts and they sing about each other's butts and their own butts. You get the gist. Yeah. And and then in case none of this has settled in, she then has a scene where she eats a banana, sprays her breasts with whipped cream and licks the cream off with one of her fingers, which is also obviously impossible to interpret. Um, and then there's this really interesting last 90 seconds or so of the video where she crawls on all fours into a sort of darkened room towards a very handsome, fit black guy in a chair. And she just does everything in front of him. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not just as it's not, some people say, oh, it's just, uh, like strip. It's a, it's like a, um, burlesque. It's, yeah, it's a burlesque. It's not. She's she's all over his body. This is a thing. It, 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 she's she's wrapping her legs around him. She's wiggling her butt in his face. She's it's a total predatory thing. And towards the end of this interminable scene, the guy you see he's starting to you know, and he goes eventually and touches her slightly on the side, and she whips around and smacks his hand away and walks out. And obviously the message of the video that Nicki Minaj is giving is, I can do all of this, but don't you dare think you can control the game. And this seems to me to be a dementing demand, a dementing claim, which is apart from anything else, deeply unfair to men. Because the whole problem of relations like that is, 
when does the game become about that? When does it? Be- when do we enter the sex business? When are we in that proximity? And and the Nicki Minaj thing is only if I get, lead you all the way there and give you permission all the time, all the way. But if I'm just enjoying myself in a skimpy outfit, wiggling my butt in your face, et cetera, et cetera, don't you even think that you still control the situation? I control it all the time, I, the woman. And I think that is dementing and deeply unfair to men and not possible. It's not possible. And it's the sort of thing which our society is really bad at thinking about because we, as I say, we fall into these incredibly basic things. The woman always must do X or the man must always do Y. And you see, I think that one of the things that's causing so much trouble in our society is that simultaneously we pretend that we know about things we don't. The trans one is the example I just gave. We just don't know very much. But simultaneously, we pretend not to know about things we all knew till yesterday. Mm-hmm. There is a massive amount of stored knowledge we all have, straight, gay, men and women, a massive amount of stored knowledge we have about what is actually going on in these situations. And it's it's complex, but it's not as complex as we're making it by putting these impossible layers on top. And and one of the, just add one other thing, if I may, which is that one of the problems of this, of course, is, is in recent years, We've been talking about etiquette of sex and particularly sex between the sexes through the prism of Hollywood and celebrity. And it's just should be clear to us by now. This isn't the best prism to see these things through. It's I don't know. It's like trying to work out drinking etiquette from a football team or a Geordie or like it's. Or a Scotsman. Yeah. I can say that. You yeah, say, I can yeah say you're that. allowed to say that. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Newcastle, so I'm allowed to say Geordie. So. Right. So, but, you know, th- this has become a real problem in our societies because apart from anything else, I think young men, young heterosexual men, are being told things that are not possible to do and sustain. And, you know, I, mean, I, I spoke recently to a friend whose son had just, just left school. I said, and I hadn't seen the son for a while friends a bit older than me and uh, i said oh how's how's the boy and he said good i said what do you think about girls he said there was nothing to do with them and i <laughs> said God. i know and i said well what what well well he's, he's not gay is he? he said no no no, he's not gay so just they're more trouble than they're worth so it's just he thinks they're a nightmare and i've come across that quite a lot actually because it is it is being made harder than it needs to be made I think the the relations between the sexes has definitely got a lot less exciting. Um, the the you remember flirting? Do you remember when flirting yeah, yeah, yeah. was a thing? Yeah, it's the same absolutely. as it's flirting's the same as tomboys and emos. Oh. Remember emos? Where have they gone? Yeah, I don't yeah, know where yeah, emos yeah. are. I haven't seen an emo in like a decade. I, I don't miss them. I have to say. Yeah. You, yeah, fair enough. But too much eyeshadow. But anyway, you get me. Like you, you, all these things, <laughs> like they feel like fucking nostalgia now. I know. Flirting. Yeah, no, flirt, flirting is an amazing one because. There's a load of things. I mean, we just had this, by the way, in the UK today about the ridiculous claims that our prime minister once put his hand on a woman's leg 20 years ago. And this is the headline. This is the headline on the day we're, we're speaking. You know, number one news item. And not like there's much else to talk about in the world, is there? But, you know, there's this strange thing where 
I mean, this, the point is, this is so complicated because, again, we keep having this stuff out on that sort of level. The former defense minister, Michael Fallon, had to resign. And like being the defense minister is a really serious job. It's not like agriculture or you know, transport. Stuff. Yeah. No, but it's not transport. I, I shouldn't say, oh my God, I'm getting the farmers are going to be off. <laughs> I know, in a bus. Most in a bus. Yeah. No, no, they're transport people. I don't mind losing. But, no, no, but, but it's not like transport. It's like you're a defense minister. You, you've got part of the control over the nuclear capability. You could destroy <laughs> Paris if you wanted. You. you <laughs> No, but it's a serious job. He's embroiled. And, he's embroiled in touching a woman's leg or something. And 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 he, and and somebody, as it happens, who I who I know, a journalist in the UK, uh, had told the story some time before that he touched her knee at something, and she'd said, "Again, not all women can do this or want to do this. It's not to say this is always good, but this this woman, you know, said if you keep your hand on my knee, I'll sock you in the bloody face or something." And, mm-hmm. and he took his hand off pretty fast. That was it. That was it. And then, you know, 15 or 20 years later, uh, the story came out again. He had to resign. I mean, it's a, in a way, it's a sort of very British sex scandal. There's no sex. Um, <laughs> it's like liberal Democrat sex scandals. Yeah. They're always that, like that. There's always like a, a fat man asked a, a woman for a coffee and she said no. And that was it. And then he has to resign. And yeah. that actually happened. Oh that actually God. happened with Lord Renard. Anyhow, the point is, is that these are people look at this and they think, what exactly are the rules? And the answer is. We're making them up as we go along, which is not uncommon, but we're making up rules that are completely contradictory. And I give the example in the book of like, what are you to make growing up of the fact that you are simultaneously told that women must always be believed and the most popular book for women in recent years are the Fifty Shades stories where women have rape fantasies like growing up is hard anyway and these levels of not being able to discuss things mean that people just see these totally contradictory messages in the culture and i don't blame them for being utterly bemused and you know what the solution is the solution is that of your friend's son which is just to exit to just be like you know what it is I, i i can't do any sense making I either don't have the desire or the capacity um, or the fucking sanity to mm. spend my time thinking mm. and trying to work out where the rubber meets the road to this issue. So do you know what it is? Simpler for me to simply not engage. Right. So um, recently I got asked to do a job for a particular company um, as a brand ambassador. As a part of this, I went on a training course with them and the training course, I run uh, nightclubs in, in Newcastle. Uh, the training course was about uh, sexual discrimination and sexual predation in nightclubs. Now, as a, uh, a nightclub operator, that's something, that is the calling card that you do not want. You do not yeah. want that, that story in your, in your venue. Um, and the group that were, that were giving the presentation, um, throughout the whole course, there was this, odd undercurrent where it was supposed to be equal between what men were doing and what women were doing. It was supposed to be that um, every example, for instance, um, would you throw this woman out of your venue if she did X, Y, Z? And one of them was like, lift her top up and expose her breasts to a group of men. And the equivalent for the man was like, take his pants down and expose his penis to a group of women. And in the, um, in the bureaucratic elements of it, it was even. 
in the rhetoric and narrative-based elements, it was exclusively women being the subject of some sort of predation by men. And I, down the road from this, I actually went through the course, then sent an email to my agent and said, I'm really sorry, I, I, I just can't, I can't get on board with this. I think that right. what they're doing is great, but I'm concerned, I'm concerned about the delivery and I think that it may make me out to be a target, which I don't think is, is mm. quite right. Cause I, I don't think they've quite got the course correct yet. Email them and say, right. very sorry. Um, but one of the things that I brought up while I was having this big course and it was run by, there was, I was the only man in the room. And I think of the five or six women, there was only maybe one that was straight. So there was a, a number of different layers of narrative going on. There wow. As that's well. a, that's a high ratio. Yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. Um, and the, one of the things that got brought up there was about what women wear on nights out right? and about how they dress. Um, and mm. I was trying to say, I was trying to be as empathetic as I could. And my empathy is crippling. Um, I was trying to be as empathetic as I could. And I was saying, well, look, like if I had a daughter, I would tell her to dress carefully. That would be the terminology sure, that sure. I would use. Absolutely. absolutely. Dress, dress, just dress carefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And immediately there was a quick sort of head snap to the side where it was like, well, why? Well, right. if I, if I need to explain why, right. then it, I, right. I get pushed down this hill and at the bottom yeah. of that and, hill and is a bog of bigot. Yeah. 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 No, at the bottom is death. You, you um, I mean, here's, here's one way I, I, I try to uh, try to get to, where we need to get to at least in having a reasonable conversation about these matters in wider society is, is there such a thing as a predatory female? So I know I learned on that course that there's no such thing as statutory rape as a woman in English common law. Right. Which I never knew. There's sexual molestation or whatever the one down from that is, Mm -hmm. uh, which would be the equivalent of a man putting anything which isn't his penis into a woman. Um, but there is no no such thing. But go up, go up a stage from that to just normal interaction, mm-hmm. as it were, non non physical interaction. Mm-hmm. Can women prey on men? Absolutely. Right. This is stored knowledge that we've pretended we don't have. Everybody knows it. Everybody, and it's unbelievably dangerous to talk about. Um, this I give the example in the book of the Indiana Jones films. One of the Indiana Jones films, um, there's a famous scene where the whole class of sort of very attractive young women all looking moonily at Harrison Ford and his teaching, and and they're all, oh the sexy hot you know archaeology guy, which is of course completely familiar in real life. And <laughs> anyhow, he um, uh, uh, he's giving the class, and one of the women, one of the girls, I mean they are girls really in the class has written love you on her eyelids and it's and she blinks at him so he can see this and i find this fascinating because this again it, sometimes sometimes it comes up as a meme online still but everybody knew this type it was so familiar as a type that the woman or even the young woman mm-hmm. making a really overt play for the male it's so familiar that it was in family movies mm-hmm. and what about and- the spinster with the toy boy you know, and we sort of pretend that these types don't exist. 
We, we sort of denied ourselves access to archetypes that we pretended don't exist. It's unlearning, really important learning. But, yes. Well, uh, because in, in these things, we're in the realm of, for a lot of this, you know, because within the law, as I was saying earlier, there's just, we're in the realm of manners. And the manners, manners are things that you, you, you're best trying to acquire as you go along from other people and learning from your elders and other things. And the elders at the moment are saying, we don't know what we know. We're not passing it on. Don't touch. Good luck. Figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And, and by the way, some of them are men. And (laughs) That's that's the note, isn't it? That's that be be home, be home by one. Yeah. But it's just, as I say, it's complex. It's complex, but it's not as complex as we're making it. What do we do to move forward then? Several things. The first thing is we have to realize what's going on and like just just get out of it. We have to get out of this. We have to get out of this zero-sum game, particularly the zero-sum game whereby in order for, we think, for women to do better, men have to do worse, or for gay people to thrive, straight people have to do worse, or for black people to thrive, white people have to do worse. We've got to get out of this. This is just so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, waste of individual life, and it's a terrible opportunity cost for a society because none of it is fixable, is my view. You know, there are things you can do worse and there are things you can do better, but we're never going to fix it. it. There's never going to be the lovely interlocking nirvana that means that we all move to some perfect state. It's just not the case. So what should we be doing? And this is the really, this is this is the thing. And I think that a lot of clever people, and particularly a lot of uh, people who've had certain advantages in their lives, are helped through this, and they know how to get through this era. I give various various examples of this, um, uh, the sort of cuttlefish phenomenon, among others. But my point is, is that there are people who've worked it out, and I'd quite like their knowledge that, among other things, a lot of this is bullshit to be more widely understood because we need to get out the other side of this in larger numbers. Now, my view is that this is, this is because it's partly just something for people to do. It's a, it's a lifestyle choice of its own and a hobby and a religion among other things. It's worth thinking what, what, what should we be doing then if we're not doing this? But let me put it this way. I mean, imagine if we actually solved the identity politics thing, which I say is not going to happen. And what would it look like? It would look like us saying, it's great. I've worked out where I am in the hierarchy this morning. Uh, and I'm allowed to speak between 11.30 and 11.32. <laughs> and you do that for some decades, and then you die. <laughs> now, I'm not up for that. And I trust you aren't either. No. Um, now, w- what could we be doing? Well, um, I think we should be hugely ambitious. And I don't have all the answers by any means. But I know that we should be much more ambitious than that in what we're going to do. I, we have the 21st century ahead of us. We have better luck than anyone in human history. Anyone. Not just anyone alive today but anyone alive ever so why would we be wasting our time playing identity quick fix politics 
I would submit that we should try to get ourselves off this in order to dream bigger dreams, to do really meaningful things, to not work out what we shouldn't be doing and what we're not allowing ourselves to do and what we don't think is in our lane, but to break out of that. You know, the the, the something uh, um, Jordan Peterson and I and others have discussed a few times in the past has been this strange view of life in this era as if as if the ideal life is to be harmless like harmless from cradle to grave not cause harm at least i didn't emit any co2 and <laughs> i never never upset anyone and i never spoke when i shouldn't have spoken and so on and i just think we've got to break out of that and say no no the aim of this generation is not to just is not just to be harmless as our highest aspiration it's to be extraordinary, to be great, to be inventive, to be intelligent, to be loving, to be caring, to be great in all of our personal relationships if we can and recognize it will fail a great deal, but do as well as we can. And then in the rest of our lives, be extraordinary and, 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 and great and do things that people will talk about for generations afterwards and look at with admiration. Uh, you know, we don't look at the great buildings of the past that have stayed standing and and look at them with anything but awe. And it, I can't see that in this generation. If if our ambition is to look at our navel long enough <laughs> to believe we've understood ourselves totally and then die, I see nobody standing looking at a statue of that and think if anyone could do that in marble. And thinking, those are the guys. <laughs> 2000, so, 2019 so really nailed it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> I get it. So, I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think that when you think about how much energy goes into these issues, these non-issues, um, and some of the, the first off, when you think about how much uh, dilution of real issues is done by the non-issues. Right. And then right. secondly, when you think about how much talent and cognitive power that could be spent on real, genuine, yeah. lasting, epoch, world-changing stuff. And, 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 just, and just, just, just another one little thing on that, which is, you know, this whole thing of hold yourself back, stay in your lane, timidity, is exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite of what successful lives Look like. are caused by yeah it's not i wonder how i can make sure i don't veer out of my lane but how can i burst out of my lane and into the world mm -hmm. how can how, how can i do something unbelievably meaningful and important to me in my life and that will benefit other people too there's there's an aspiration but it's entirely in contradiction to what we are told so Break out of the era, I'd say. Douglas, today has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, the Madness of Crowds, everybody who is listening or watching, if you're on YouTube, the link will be in the show notes below. Uh, where can people hassle you if they need to find you online, Douglas? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Douglas K. Murray, and uh, I do have Facebook and things like that. Um, you are not yeah. Douglas murray three on instagram mm -hmm. 
as I okay. found out earlier on today, oh, that oh, is that guy. is, that is, is a uh, professional footballer at I think Washington State, but he's got a blue tick. So there's there's an ice hockey player who shares my name in Sweden. Okay, uh, because um, I used to have a colleague who used to check when people were saying things about me, and I used to say, I don't really like to know about that. But she she used to say, oh dear, what's he done now? Because it'd be like. Murray smashes opponent and then grinds him onto the ice and go. Oh, no, okay. no, the last bit goes. No, 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 it's fine. It's not. Well, him. obviously, my oh, my no. name's Chris Williamson. So the number of yeah, anti-Semitic uh, accusations yeah, yeah. I've had. But I did I did Love Island about four years ago. So I went oh. on Love Island, um, and I I often post like, oh my. Uh, my anti-Semitic alter ego's at it again, and one of my friends, <laughs> one of my friends, commented on that below, saying, "I wonder when you get in the press whether he says, oh, for fuck's sake, my Love Island alter ego's done it again.'" <laughs> so yeah, but Douglas, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Book's fantastic. It's made it's made a lot of sense to me. I hope it makes a lot of sense to everyone else as well. Um, I hope they enjoy it. Yeah, I'm thank sure you for the time. Will. It's been great. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. It would make me very happy indeed. Don't forget, if you've got any questions or comments or feedback, feel free to message me at Chris Willex on all social media. But for now, goodbye, friends. Yeah. 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 Yeah.